0: Hey, how do you do? Welcome in. It's downtown, the podcast, episode number 113. Rich Kimball here, along with Carrie Haskell from the Zone Radio Studios in Bangor, Maine, where we do our daily program downtown. Every weekday from 4 to 6 p.m. Eastern time can be heard on the Zone Radio stations around the state of Maine worldwide. Maybe even in some of the outer reaches of the galaxy our website, downtownwithrichkimble.com. We're brought to you every week by Cross Insurance, where security meets strength. Two very fun conversations coming up for you this time around. Uh, a little later, musician, singer, songwriter, Sonny Curtis, who started with Buddy Holly in the pre-crickets days, back in the 1950s down in Lubbock, Texas, went on to a career as an incredibly successful musician and songwriter who's penned some incredible, great iconic tunes i fought the law the bobby fuller four hit that everybody's recorded uh, more than i can say that became a number one song for leo sayer the everly brothers walk right back and wrote one of the most iconic television theme songs in history love is all around for the mary tyler moore show and ended up singing it because he wouldn't let him have the rights to the song <laughs> unless they let him sing and we'll hear those stories and a whole lot more from sonny curtis in the second half of the podcast this week. But in the first half, we welcome back a No Stranger to our program, a great friend of our show. She is so talented. 11 seasons as Roz Doyle, the producer for Fraser Crane and the NBC series Frasier. Perry Gilpin back with us this week to talk about a new web series that she stars in called Old Guy.
1: How are you, Rick?
0: I'm doing great, thanks. It's been been a whole two months since we've talked. Uh, Have you been getting my cards and letters?
1: Yes, I
0: have. Thank you so much. <laughs> Very excited. To,
1: <laughs> and I love them
0: all. I'm glad. I'm glad. Put you know, The artwork, I think, made them extra special. I'm so excited <laughs> to talk with you about this uh, series that's out now and streaming called Old Guy. It's, it's a wonderful series, but just as wonderful, I think, is the story behind it. Can you explain a little bit about how uh, this all came to be and how you became a part of it? Yes, uh, the.
1: did. The... Old Guy is a web series made by this production company called Five Sisters Productions, which is literally five sisters, and uh, they're, they're Burton. Their last name is Burton. They're the Burton sisters, and two of them, Maria and Ursula Burton, are very old, dear friends of mine. I used to have a book club with them and when we all first moved to L.A., and for years they would tell the funniest stories about their parents and um, their, their dad was head of psychology at SUNY Buffalo. And, you know, he's, he's, um, well, he's, he's, in, he's the star of this. And his wife is also the co star. They play a married couple, they play kind of themselves in this. And they're just lovely people with their great sports, and um, they have something really wonderful to say. <laughs> and their kids wrote an amazing script about them.
0: And, and Roger really did this. When he retired uh, from the psychology department, he moved to L.A. to try to become an actor.
1: That's correct. I think he had been an actor as a younger man and then decided to go into psychology. And then they had five kids, five daughters. <laughs> and so forget that acting dream. <laughs> so that when, when, he, when he retired, though, he, he went back to it. And they told me, I ran into Maria, and she goes, oh, my God, you wouldn't believe it, my dad. Retired, they moved to LA. He's been auditioning, and he's just on fire. He gets everything he goes in on. He's worked ten times more than any of us have. And uh, I'm like, well, that's wonderful. And she's like, yeah, but it's like you know, a cadaver or you know, like adult diapers and things like that. And she was, we're actually writing a script about it. And so when she sent me the script, I just thought they captured it. You know, they got it. It was so funny what they we're able to, you know, capture in just 20 minutes. The whole web series is like 20 minutes in total. They're little short episodes, but each one is a great aspect of kind of ageism, you know, in our business and how it trickles out to the rest of the world, you know?
0: Yeah, it's great. I've watched all the episodes. It's laugh out loud funny, but... Not very deep below that is the realization that, yes, this is this is what actors of a certain age well, of course, actresses as well. It applies to everybody because Hollywood has these stereotypes and these ideas of what you can and cannot play.
1: Yeah. And, you know, it, it, that, which is which is Roger's point, you know, either um, I'm I have so much more you know, going on in my life than this. I mean, what I really do all day is actually really much more interesting than this. But, you know, my character is plays as agent, and she's a typical agent in that, you know, she's just the liaison between the actor and the job. She's not creating the job, you know, so she doesn't, she's, there's not a lot she can do, and especially since he's just kind of entering the field at 80, you know, it's not like, <laughs> It's not like he's a well-known actor who's aging, you know, and people are, you know, they're like, why not write me more parts? He's just sort of fulfilling a need, which is, which, which is what I love is that he keeps dreaming, though, and he keeps wanting to do more. And, and, and she kind of gets, she kind of, she kind of catches the bug, you know, for him.
0: Well, and Winnie is such a fantastic character. I think one of my favorite scenes is when she mentions that he's he's up for a Spielberg film, (laughs) and it doesn't quite go the way he was hoping.
1: No, no, but but boy, you know she she sets it up perfectly. You know, (laughs) so good. I thought they wrote a really really great
0: script. I don't want to. We won't name any names here. But uh, did you base your characterization of Winnie on anybody that you know, in the business.
1: Well, I, I kind of base it on all every agent, you know, I've ever had, and but also like, you know, with love, you know, and understanding because it's, it's not easy to keep everybody happy. And usually people aren't. So I feel like there's some kind of agent school that you go to <laughs> where you're able to deliver really disappointing news. You know, it's like being a doctor. You know, you have to like have a bedside manner.
0: We're talking with Perry Gilpin about the new web series "Old Guy." Uh, I loved uh, Roger getting the part in the uh, with the ED commercial. That was brilliant. Uh, the adult diapers but i think my favorite scene of rogers when he was he was playing a dead guy and couldn't stop laughing in the casket and then even took a phone call yes,
1: yes that i mean that so sisters the the five the five sisters production i mean that script is so genius for that part alone absolutely so, because i i love rogers i think his name is harry in the movie in the in the show but right. Uh, Roger's good-naturedness, you know his his sense of humor. His I keep saying this word about him and Gabrielle, his wife. Their their contentment in life, you know, is there, they they. This is a dream, and if it goes well, great. If not, that's okay too. <laughs> you know?
0: Well, and and doesn't he capture the attitude that that all actors have to have in the business of being positive And yeah, it didn't quite play out like I wanted, but. Hey, I got something. I'm excited to have this role. The next one will be even better.
1: That's right, onward and upward, as we say.
0: Well, old guy, <laughs> it's a wonderful series. Uh, it's available for streaming, and, uh, and I understand too. Uh, you're putting it out there for uh, Emmy consideration as well.
1: Yeah, um, I got. I was contacted by Maria and Ursula, and they we made this in 2013. And in the time that passed, in these past seven years, their mom got very ill, and then their dad got ill, and they took care of their parents, and, um, and so I think that that was kind of all-consuming, and for some reason at this point, and I'm not sure what made them want to do it, they said, we're going to go all out and really try to get this out there, so... So I, I, I applaud that. I think it's great. I've always loved it. I thought it was great when it came out in 2013. So I'm thrilled that they're bringing attention to it. And, and what a perfect time for lots, so many reasons.
0: We can use the laughs. There's no doubt about that. But it's also a good idea That's to re- right. be, be reminded of uh, you know, the fact that age is such a, it's such a weird thing. You know, uh, I'm 62 years old in a couple of days. I look in the mirror. I see Happy me. Birthday. Thank you so much. I don't see that. You know, to me, I'm I'm kind of the same person I've always been, and it, it's so relative. But in in so many businesses, in so many lines of work, you're judged by by that appearance, and and how old you are is also determines what people think of you and your abilities.
1: Yes, and in so many in so many you know movies, especially like maybe Disney movies or like, or Star Wars or uh, the, you know, Hobbit, the, the Lord of the Rings, you know, so often the people, the, the the people that we go to for advice and the people that we respect the most and the people that we want to get their approval and the spiritual leaders are very elderly, right? But it's always in a fantasy. It's never right. in real life, <laughs> you know, like where you go and try to, you know, or you might go talk to grandpa and then grandpa's kind of a, you know, he's kind of treated like bubblegum instead of just the wise person he is or the wise person grandma is, you know, the Waltons had that, you know, I wish we saw it more. Fraser kind of had it in Don, but he was not very old, but he was definitely playing a lot older than he was. But, you know, we need we need all the generations we all need to talk together <laughs> you know and then i feel like right now this with you know with our with where whether to wear a mask or not you know that is there's a lot about how we feel about our, our friends who are elderly you know
0: yeah how are you seeing where where you are how's compliance with masks right now because it seems to it seems to be pretty spotty and dependent on a lot of factors
1: That's what I see, but for the most part, I see people wearing them where they should be wearing them, you know, but like a few times I've gotten out of my car and walked up to the grocery store door and had, you know, the kid at the door or someone behind a cash register go, you don't have your mask on. I'm like, oh my God, I totally forgot. You know, I'm not, I'm not, you know, ignoring it. I just forgot, you know, which is terrible, (laughs) but so but when you see someone with one on, you remember. But if you don't see anybody, you know what I mean? I, I, I have made the mistake by mistake. Right. But, um, but I, I, I have no problem wearing one. I, I he put up the best tweet of all time a couple of days ago. He, he wrote, um, wearing a mask is kind of like an IQ test, isn't it? <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes, absolutely.
1: <laughs> you know, so I, I can't even imagine questioning it. Why, why would you? What's the problem?
0: While we're talking about ageism, uh, has has what we're seeing now with television and more platforms through you know, Netflix and Amazon Prime and all of this, uh, is it providing more opportunities for for women uh, to get better roles? Because there's been you know, it's been history uh, in the entertainment business that uh, once you reach a certain age, those good roles disappear. In particular for women, you know we see 65 year old men with love interests half their age in films and television shows, but, but is it better now in terms of providing some media roles for experienced female actors?
1: It seems to be. It does definitely seem to be getting better and better all the time. Um, but I, also, I think about what you're saying all the time, and especially when you watch Old Guy, and I just, I just say that because he, his face is, you know, so old. and it's so much fun to watch it you know it's so fun to watch that face and all those years and all those all that laughing all that wisdom and you know it's so I think a little of it has to do with what we're used to seeing and um and I think that you know anytime anytime we you know anytime there's a you, you sort of Want to see beautiful things, but 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 everybody's idea of beauty is different, and beauty can be, you know, beauty can be. It can be expressed in a lot of different ways, you know. We and I I think we're stepping out of the of the old Hollywood like ideas of beauty. I think we're stepping away from that big time.
0: Well, that's a good thing, you know, because we've all got. We've got old people in all our families, and they're interesting, and they have wonderful stories to tell. We don't all have supermodels in our family, so uh, you know it's a lot easier to relate to Roger's character, uh, certainly for me, with a birthday fast approaching.
1: <laughs> well, I just think he's got such a great face anyway. You know what I mean? I'm oh, sure yeah. it's, a, it's always been a, a funny face, you know? It's just very full of love. I find his face to be so full of compassion. It's just got every you just feel like that would be a friend, you know, and, um, and I, 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 I know that we make a lot of decisions about people within the first couple of seconds of seeing them just because we just decide things about how they look, you know, and so maybe maybe all the things that are going on right now will help us see things with a little more open mind.
0: That would be a great thing indeed. We sure hope so. Well, check out the series. It's streaming now. Old guy, absolutely wonderful. Perry plays the delightful Winnie, the greatest agent in the world in this. Perry, it's always good. Thanks so much for for checking in with us again. We wish you well. Stay safe. Don't forget that mask. And we'll talk to you again soon.
1: I won't forget it. And, Rich, thank you for inviting me on. I always love talking to you. Thank you.
0: Perry Gilpin, man, always so much fun when we have her on the show. Our thanks to Perry for joining us this week. Check out Old Guy. Again, it's available on YouTube uh, from Five Sisters Productions. It's short. You can watch it all in one sitting, but very funny. It is. It
2: I enjoyed that as much as anything I've watched recently. It was a lot of fun.
0: And every, I mean, Roger's great. Uh, Perry's so good in it. Uh, check it out. You're going to like it a whole lot. We'll take a break right now. Uh, Get a quick word from our friends at Cross Insurance and come back with songwriter Sonny Curtis next.
1: Strength.
2: Who can turn the world on with her smile? And
0: see that hat going up in the air right now. One of the great theme songs in television history. You know, you you make a list of the top ten, and this isn't on it. You've done something wrong. It's Sonny Curtis.
3: Is all around, no need to waste
2: it you can
3: never why don't you you' make
0: it after and I love the, the story that you'll hear from Sonny as he told us about how he got the gig and insisted that they let him sing the song but I love that he, he, all he knew about it was basically a little a three or four page summary that they sent him a 30 year old woman comes out of a bad relationship Moves to the big city of Minneapolis.
2: Yeah, he, it, just a short, short summary, and he came up with
0: something that has stood the test of time. And, yeah, you, you hear those first few notes on the guitar, and you know exactly what's coming. But Sonny Curtis has done so much more than that. Uh, songs that he's written, like I Fought the Law, more Than I Can Say, Walk Right Back, uh, Keith Whitley's biggest hit, I'm No Stranger to the Rain. We had a wonderful time talking with singer, songwriter, and musician Sonny Curtis. Thank you so much for being with us today.
2: Well, thank you, Rich. How are you doing today?
0: Doing pretty well. Uh, interesting times for all of us here, but doing the best we can.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's, it is interesting. Uh,
0: <laughs> well, let's, uh, if we can, I'd, I'd like to go back to the early days there and, and, and talk about your uh, your start in the business. Now you uh, you grew up in Texas, but I understand, uh, along with uh, the many influences in Texas and from Mexico, that uh, around your home uh, Saturday nights meant listening to the Grand Ole Opry on WSM.
2: Uh, yeah, I grew up in a very small community. About as a matter of fact, it's four hundred and eight <laughs> <laughs> oh, was on the city limits sign, uh, so you can imagine how small that is. But it's a farming community. My dad was a cotton farmer. And uh, we had uh, early influences in music. Uh, my aunt was the sister of uh, the Mayfield brothers, oh, wow. uh, and Ed Mayfield actually played a guitar and sang at one point uh, for Bill Monroe and the Bluegrass Boys. They were a huge influence on uh, me and my two older brothers who also played and sang. Uh, they didn't make a career out of it like I did. But uh, uh, yeah, I had I had a lot of lot of influences, and and, and you know, listening to the grand old opera on Saturday night was uh, <laughs> uh, you. Back in those days, uh, you may not know this, or you may uh, a lot of the most stations uh, went off the air around six o'clock, right? And WSM was a fifty thousand watt station, uh, and it blasted uh, <laughs> almost all over the United States because there was were no. Uh, uh, there was no static or no stations to interfere, so uh, Grand Ole Opry came in pretty clear, and uh, it, I I just loved listening to the Grand Ole Opry and fell in love with music at an early age.
0: Now I understand uh, you were a, a bit of a local celebrity when you first met Buddy Holly and Bob Montgomery because you'd you'd done some appearances on local TV in Lubbock.
2: Well, yes, I, uh, I when I was about a freshman in high school, I won a talent contest uh down in Brownfield, Texas, which is ten miles south of us, uh, in Meadow. And uh and they uh I, I started getting gigs uh, to you know just to uh, uh play uh, for various you know Kawana clubs, Lions clubs, uh rotary clubs, that sort of luncheons, that sort of thing. Um, I actually uh, did an appearance at a country club, and they hired uh, to play the dance. I was, <laughs> I was too young. I probably shouldn't have even been there. But uh, <laughs> anyway, the the, uh, the country club had lawyers and all that. It were members, so I kind of had them on my side. But <laughs> a guy named Bernie Howell, who had a, um, he was an organ player, and uh, he had a TV show. Uh, um, there were two. He, tv stations in lubbock uh, uh and um he had a tv show every evening at six o'clock on one of those uh, stations and uh he uh was at he played dance for that gig i was talking about and he said man you gotta be on my show so <laughs> um i uh i played i went up and sang a couple of songs on his show and uh and all of a sudden everybody on the South Plains sort of knew me because <laughs> um, th- th- that was the that was the only game in town pretty well <laughs> and I did his show uh, two or three times and uh and and of course that's how buddy Holly and Bob Montgomery who was uh, buddy's uh, singing partner they had a group that's how they got in uh, to know me and got in touch with me. So I guess you could say I was a little bit of a celeb, luckily. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and, and you weren't the Crickets originally. But it was the the three tunes, right?
2: Well, the three tunes uh, were uh, 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 consisted of uh, Buddy Holly, myself, and a bass player named Don Guess. And um, we were pretty well just what's called Elvis clones, uh, when Elvis came through town, that was early '65. Um, he, he uh, we fell in love with Elvis, and we started playing uh, his stuff the next day, and sort of switched from country to rock and roll, and um, and uh, so yeah, we yeah, that's that's kind of how with the three tunes got started. Uh, Buddy got a deal in uh, Nashville. Through um, a, a, a road manager from Marty Robbins uh, saw us and said, hey, why don't you send me some demos? So we, uh, we made some demos and sent them down to him and, uh, and got a deal on DECA. And uh, so we were, uh, we were, that's the three tunes. We were, uh, uh, funnily enough, we were really supposed to be the two-tones. <laughs> because uh, we we got a gig in uh, in Oklahoma City and uh, it had about five or six days on the tour and we didn't have any any re- uniforms so we went down to the local haberdasher haberdasher in, in Oklahoma City and bought some uh, 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 white shirt and white I mean with white pants and a blue shirt and an orange shirt and we said hey. Well, this, this is a two-tone color, so let's call ourselves two tones. <laughs> when our record uh, reached uh, the um, powers that be at DECA, they they changed it to the three tunes, so that's how the three <laughs> tunes <laughs> got started.
0: <laughs> We're talking with Sonny Curtis here on Downtown. You, you recorded with the legendary Owen Bradley in Nashville. Among the songs you did, That'll Be the Day, but I, I was surprised to learn that Owen Bradley didn't want Buddy Holly playing the guitar on that session?
2: Yeah, that has always amazed me. As good a guitar player as Buddy was uh, and destined to, be a, to become a rock and roll and trailblazer, yeah, uh, they, he just stood over in the corner at a microphone and sang. And I played lead guitar. Of course, Don Guest played the bass. We had a guy named Buddy Harmon, a famous drummer of, uh, from Nashville. Mm. And Grady Martin, who was a great guitar player, he played rhythm. <laughs> and uh, and that was what the band consisted of. And Buddy just stood over in the corner and sang and he didn't play guitar. Wow. So, yeah, that's always amazed me.
0: Back in my uh, country radio days, uh, I loved playing some of your solo songs, including the real Buddy Holly story. You tried to set the record straight. Uh, the, the movie um well, got some things wrong what were some of the big things that were not right about your friend buddy holly in the motion picture
2: <clears throat> well it was it was a pretty good rock and roll movie uh as you know but it didn't have a lot to do with the truth <laughs> <laughs> um for one thing well to start with there are no mountains in lubbock texas and
3: <laughs>
2: and um and Buddy's parents, uh, it had them kind of opposed to, uh, Buddy being an, in the music business. They kind of wanted him to get a real job. And that was further his thing from the truth because his mom and dad were not just behind Buddy, behind, but behind all of us boys. And they were, boy, they were in there uh, letting us take their car wherever we went, you know, and, uh, uh, they were really behind us all. Uh, that of course wasn't very true. Um, and, um, uh, what else? Well, I thought Gary Busey did a good acting job, but he was uh, a really a sloppy dresser in this movie. It was you know, <laughs> uh, and buddy was really prim and proper when it came to his dress. I mean, like everything had to be just right. It, uh, his mom tapered jeans for him. All, all of our moms tapered our jeans and, and, uh, we had to had to look spiffy, and um, you know. Oh, the I guess the main thing that turned me off in that. Speaking of Owen Bradley, and I was I was at that uh, those sessions with Owen Bradley because I was playing guitar. <clears throat> um, it had uh, Gary Busey um, uh, portrayed Buddy punching out Owen Bradley in the movie. Uh, they got crossways. And man, that was the furthest thing from the truth because Buddy had manners, and uh, we all were putting our best manners forward when we recorded there in Nashville at uh, Bradley's Barn. Uh, it was, yes, sir, Mister Bradley, and whatever you say, Mister Bradley, and you know, and um, I, uh, I thought that was, uh, you know, too much of a a rube to suit me. <laughs>
0: Now, did I read somewhere along the way that uh, you had some of those original acetates from your, your early sessions, and uh, you gave those to Buddy Holly's parents after he died?
2: Uh, yes, I had all the acetates uh, that we had done, uh, and of course, you know, back in those days, a lot of people, uh, uh, a lot of young people won't understand this, but we'd go over to Norman Petty's studio, and, and to make an acetate, just, just a, a record, you know, we'd... Uh, he, he'd put the needle on the, the record and we'd sing the song and play the song and it would record as we went. And I, I had, I had all of those, but, after uh, everybody died after a little time had elapsed. So I went up and I took, got, gathered them all up and went, went up and knocked on Mr. and Ms. Holly's door and, uh, and gave them those things because I think they deserved to have them. Uh, they may have had them already, but, uh, Anyway, I gave them all away. One
0: of your uh, big breaks as a songwriter came uh, with "Walk Right Back." Now, was it Jerry Allison that suggested you uh, present that song to Phil and Don Everly?
2: Yeah, I, I, you know, I wrote that song when I was in basic training in the army. I had been playing with JI Allison, Jerry Allison, and Joe B. in the other two crickets, uh, and I was playing guitar. We we were backing the Everly Brothers. And we'd just been on a tour of England and Australia uh, but just before I got drafted. And uh, so when I got one, during basic training on one Sunday afternoon, they had an old beat-up guitar in what they call the day room uh, where uh, at my barracks. And uh, I got that guitar, and I had the lick already, uh, the intro, uh, but um, I, I wrote that song. And I got a three-day pass to go down to Los Angeles, and I uh, well I I went to Los Angeles to see JI who was living down there. I said JI Jerry Ivan Allison, <laughs> and uh, Don and Phil had just signed with Warner Brothers, and they were down there uh, studying acting. Uh, <laughs> nothing ever <laughs> came of that, <laughs> but uh, JI said, uh, "Sing Don that new song," uh, and I sang it to him, and he said, "Phil." He called Phil on the phone. Uh, uh, they were at the, in a hotel called Hollywood Hawaii. And he called Phil and said, get down here and listen to this song, man. So anyway, uh, they worked out that good harmony, and that's, that's how it happened, just that quickly.
0: <laughs> and and you and Jay, I like- also uh, wrote uh, more than I can say, that, man, everybody's recorded through the years. Uh, Leo Sayre had a number one hit with it as well. That that one certainly has had some staying power.
2: Well, yes, yes. Uh, Jerry and I—I I, I call him JI, Jerry Allison. Um, he and I wrote more than I can say on the way to New York City. This was after Buddy died. We went up to record that album in style with the Crickets, um, and um, um, we uh, had, always had an old guitar with it was a small gill, you know, that in the back seat. We sat back here in the back seat and wrote. More than I can say, and what's funny about that? Well, one thing that's funny about it is we we kept saying whoa whoa yay, yay. and we said what can we put there? You know, <laughs> we didn't realize that was our hook, <laughs> and we uh, we couldn't think of any lyrics. So when we got in the studio, we just said, oh, what the heck, you know,
3: <laughs>
2: and and we just we sang whoa whoa yay, yay. and. Uh, <clears throat> And uh, of course, the, the Bobby V. cut it first and had a hit on mm. it, and then Leo Sarah picked up uh, uh, years later. Well, nineteen ninety, somewhere in there. Mm.
0: And of and, course, uh, uh, one of your biggest lot, one of your biggest songs, uh, "I Fought the Law," the Bobby Fuller Four recording. You had done it. Uh, you did it with the Crickets as well. But is that an idea that you had? back I understand maybe back to your high school days for that song.
2: That that song came. Uh, within about 20 minutes and what's frightening about that is i never wrote it down i just had it in my head you know and i wonder if there's any other songs i might have just let slide out of my head i just (laughs) had it in my head and (laughs) we were on our way as i say on that trip where we wrote uh, more than i can say Uh, um we were desperate for new material to record and uh i said uh i'd written i fought the law is sort of a country song and i said hey how about this one and i sang i fought the law and uh we all said yeah that's one we can cut
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: and um uh, and um uh we uh i, I transcribed it to a, a kind of a straight eight rock and roll feel and jay i put all those well he put that good gunshot clip, oh
0: yeah absolutely
2: uh, only at the, at the front of it and uh voila, we had us another song. (laughs) And that's how that came about. Uh, And uh, that was was real lucky. I just, um, it scares me sometimes to think that I never wrote that down. I just had it in my head, you know.
0: (laughs) You had uh, great success for a time uh, doing commercial jingles and, uh, well, any number of different companies, but you deserve a break today for McDonald's. That one worked out pretty well.
2: Well, yes, that was that was really uh, I was lucky for me. Uh, I got started in the jingle business because uh, uh, a, a singer in Los Angeles who was a friend of mine was doing a jingle for this company in San Francisco, and they uh, they had uh, the account of Olympia Beer, which is a regional beer up in, uh, out of Olympia, Washington. And um, the guy said, "Boy, we need a song kind of similar to the Straight Life." And that's a song I had written. And um, uh, then my friend said, well, I know the guy that wrote it.
3: <laughs> <laughs>
2: so they contacted me, and I uh, I wrote a song for them, uh, which ran for about two years. And then um, uh, a friend of mine, uh, uh, well, he became a friend, uh, a guy named Don Pastropike, got mixed up with him, and we started writing jingles. But now that you deserve a break today, I did not write. Right. I wrote songs around that, uh, but just, I, I can't think of who it was right off the top of my head, but somebody else wrote that particular uh, uh, song. But, uh, uh, yeah, I wrote jingles for oh four or five years before I moved to Nashville. Of course, I was writing other songs and going on the road with the crickets and, you know, <laughs> scratching out a. Little living in
0: the music business, as they say. (laughs) We're talking with Sonny Curtis here on Downtown. Uh, Well, uh, certainly a life-changing event came. uh, Was it Doug Gilmore who came to you and said, hey, uh, Mary Tyler Moore is going to have a sitcom and they're looking for people to write a theme song?
2: That's exactly right. Uh, Doug Gilmore was a real good friend of uh, mine, and I I was a good friend of Roger Miller, who, who you mentioned uh, kind of made Banger Maine famous. <laughs> That's right,
0: king of the road.
2: But I was a good friend of Roger, and I used to uh, do uh, TV shows for Roger occasionally, uh, playing guitar like uh, he did The Tonight Show or The Murr Griffin Show or Joey Bishop. Um, I, uh, I'd go play uh, guitar for him, and... Um, Anyway, we were good friends, and Doug Gilmore was road manager for Roger Miller. And Mary Tyler Moore's agency managed uh, Roger as well. And they said uh, Doug was really a sharp guy, and uh, he he started working for Williams and Price Agency. And he called me one day about 11 o'clock, and I was just at home picking my guitar, and he said, uh, they're going to do a sitcom for Mary Tyler Moore. And uh, would you like a shot at writing a theme song? And I said, Why, sure. <laughs> <laughs> he he dropped like a, a about a four-page treatment of the show off at my house in his lunch break, and uh, I got right on it. And I think I beat everybody to the punch. He, he uh, I had a jump on everybody else. <laughs> but I called him back about two o'clock, and I said, Man, sing this to. <laughs> And uh, luckily, it didn't have a lot of information. I wish I'd have kept that uh, that format or <laughs> uh, treatment, but I threw it away, of course. But uh, <clears throat> anyway, it didn't say, it just said, a young girl from the Midwest gets jilted and moves to the big city of Minneapolis, gets a job at a TV station and uh, in the news department. And uh, that's about all I had to go on. And uh, anyway, Uh, probably good that it didn't have a lot of information because a lot of information sometimes will bog you down. (laughs) But uh, he sent me to see James L. Brooks, uh, who was the uh, producer. There were two producers, James L. Brooks and Alan Burns. Uh, James L. Brooks later uh, produced uh, and directed, uh, oh, terms of endearment Mm -hmm. and as good as it gets and things like that. Anyway, uh, he uh he said let's go into this room in here and he was really cold to me at, in the beginning he said um, we're not near to the stage of uh selecting a theme song but i'll listen to what you got <laughs> and we went into this big room and had it and he had it, it was empty except for a black telephone on the floor he had two back chairs sent in and i I sang him that song and he grinned and said, sing that again. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, then he got on the phone and started calling people. And before I left, I'd sung that song about 10 times from people all around, standing all around the room. And uh, anyway, he, uh, he got on the phone and said, I want a cassette player sent in here. I want to take this to Minneapolis to me this weekend. (laughs) And, uh, they were going to do some filming up there to start the show. And I, I felt pretty good at the time. I thought I might have a shot at this. <laughs> so
0: yeah, and then that's they, how
2: they, that came about. And
0: they came back and said they wanted the song, but didn't necessarily want you to be the singer. But man, uh, you uh, you held out, and that turned out to be an awfully good decision.
2: Oh yeah, I probably I've learned a lot about the music business since then, and I probably wouldn't do that these days. <laughs> <laughs> but. Uh, <clears throat> But uh, I said, "Whoa! Well, uh, if I can't sing it, then you can't have the song. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. Uh, uh, talk, about, talk about dumb, but in that, like, you're right, in that particular instant, it kind of paid off.
0: <laughs> well, yeah, and it's one of the great themes in, in all of television history. You just hear those opening notes on the guitar, and, and uh, man, it takes you back. And I know you, you had a chance. You met Mary a bunch of times. Was she appreciative of, of what you had created for
2: uh, yes, she was a very nice person, and uh, I, I didn't get to know her well. But uh, you know, we knew each other, and uh, we were we would be at functions occasionally, and uh, she was always really nice. And, and uh, anyway, she signed. Uh, we had some sheet music that, and she she signed uh, my sheet music, and uh, uh, it was a really a nice inscription. It says something like. Uh, a part of who I am is because of your love, and <laughs> and anyway, I I've, I've got that hanging in a very special spot up in my office. Well, I bet you. Do. <laughs> uh, hey,
0: how did you uh, how did you come to get uh, "I'm No Stranger to the Rain," the wonderful song you wrote with Ron Hellard? How did that make its way to Keith Whitley?
2: Well, I was writing uh, uh, under contract to Tree Music, which is now um, Sony. Uh, uh, ATV sony ATV publishing uh, they uh, absorbed tree but tree was a huge publishing company uh, in the country music uh, and i had i was under contract to them and ron uh, who, who was really a good friend and a terrific songwriter uh, <clears throat> he uh, he was also under contract to tree and uh, I had a little writer's room in Nashville and I'd go down the, yeah because I live Oh, about 30, 40 minutes out of downtown Nashville. And uh, I'd go down to that writer's room and meet Ron, and we'd try to come up with something. And we were coming back for lunch one day, and uh, Ron was really prolific. He'd say, how about this? And how about that? You know. <laughs> <laughs> and he said, uh, how about I'm no stranger to the rain? And anyway, and I mulled that over a couple of times. And <laughs> he he was saying, you would probably gone on past it, man." I said, "Go back to that." No stranger to the rain. When we got in my office, we started in, and it really kind of wrote itself. I mean, it's it's amazing. Sometimes people ask me sometimes, "How do you write? How do you know when you write a song and all that?" And I think sometimes I just dreamed them. I mean, I can't remember exactly how I went about it, but uh, we uh, we wrote that song. And took it up that afternoon to Tree, and uh, we made a demo of it. <clears throat> and um, a guy at Tree uh, took it of uh, one of the song pluggers there. Uh, took it to um, Keith Whitley, and uh, he recorded it. And I thought he was never going to release it. He sat on that song for a year and a half, <laughs> or two years, it seems like. And uh, anyway, he finally, finally released it as a single. And uh, <clears throat> and it's sad that. Uh, Keith died, uh, but that song was number one when yeah. Keith died. Uh, and uh, uh, but that's the story of No Stranger to the Rain.
0: You mentioned one of my favorite songs of yours, "The Straight Life," big hit for Bobby Goldsboro. From personally, I love the version that Glenn Campbell
2: did. Oh uh, well, Glenn Campbell was oh he was hotter than soap <laughs> <laughs> at the time. He had his own TV show. And, uh, uh, yes, he recorded that uh, as a cover, and it's on the Wichita Lineman album. Right. And, man, that album just sold like a hit single. I mean, it it sold a lot. But, of course, Goldsboro had a number one. I don't know. I don't think it went to number one, but it was a top ten record. Oh, yeah. And um, and a lot of people recorded it uh the Mills Brothers and Al Hurt and... <laughs> Val Dunigan in England, and uh, uh, Lawrence, I know Lawrence Well did another one, I think. But anyway, a whole bunch of people recorded that, and uh, that was uh, a real terrific copyright of, of mine. And as you say, Glenn Campbell, uh, that's also my favorite uh, version of it. Uh, he really did it good, as he did everything.
0: <laughs> well, you know, when you've had your songs recorded, and you mentioned some of the people there, but everybody from from Bing Crosby to the Dead Kennedys that that says something about your songwriting
2: <laughs> well yeah that's uh, I think my my I think my daughter she wrote a bio of me I think she came up with that line <laughs> uh, but uh, <clears throat> that is a, quite a stretch uh from uh, Bing Crosby to the Dead Kennedys <laughs> and uh and and of course I had an instrumentalist which I'm proud of like for instance, Chet Atkins, Al Hurt, and, and uh, Floyd Kramer um, yeah, did my songs, uh, you know, instrumentally. So I, I was always kind of proud of that too.
0: The business has changed so much, and, and these days, uh, the record companies uh, maybe don't have the power they once had. And with streaming audio, there are new mm-hmm. ways for people to break into the business. Uh, do you think it? for for new people is it easier today than it was uh, for you guys back in in the 1950s or is it tougher Are there more challenges
2: well i imagine it's pretty tough uh i i always thought it was pretty tough uh, for us but um we uh, i think we were able to find an avenue uh that it's it's hard for people these days to uh, to get started i would think and uh, I've been kind of retired for a few years and I'm not really that active in music business, but, um, it's, uh, it's a weird, weird business, uh, to me. That seems to me like that, uh, songwriting, uh, and I'm not putting them down by any stretch, but it seems like it, uh, it takes a, four or five people you see on a song,
3: <laughs> right. like
2: number one record, you know, like it, you think, uh, man, who, uh, uh, what who contributed to what you know <laughs> like there, there'd be four or five writers on a song uh i can understand two guys sitting down and sometimes maybe even three uh and as i said i'm not i'm not knocking it i'm just saying it's it's a strange way for me to think about writing a song because um, mo- most of my songs I always i always enjoyed the uh, uh old oh, time I was able to put into one. I could take all the time I wanted and start in the middle and, you know, or whatever. (laughs) And maybe even without a title. Uh, But um, it's a, it's a harder business. I think these days than it was then, because back then, if you, if you had the goods, I think you could uh, find a way. And uh, I don't know. We were, we were lucky. I think uh, I'm I'm real, real luck. I feel real lucky about my career. I've I've had a lot of uh, good luck, and it's it's really nice to be able to do what you want in life.
0: <laughs> How is your friend Ji doing these days?
2: J. is doing fine. Uh, he's uh, he's been ill a few, uh, a little bit lately, but uh, he's you know some days he's better than other days. He had prostate cancer uh, oh, many years ago, and that's, uh, uh, he's had, had trouble keeping his pay, uh, PSA, I believe it's called, yep. under control. But uh, uh, I think that uh, he's doing better these days. He has been feeling pretty poorly uh, at, at some points in the past uh,
0: few months. Sonny, thank you so much. I've I've been a fan of your work for forever and ever. It's such a great opportunity for us to talk with you today. Thanks again.
2: Well, thank you for calling, man. and We'll talk to you later. What
0: a blast. What a good guy. Sonny Curtis talking about his long career in the music business. And, you know, this happens a lot because we're lucky to get so many great guests. But you find yourself just sitting here listening to him talking about Buddy Holly. A guy that he went to high school with, these buddies with one of the yeah. one of the great names in rock and roll history, and you know, here's a guy out there who was buds with him when when he was nobody. And just everybody through the and we've talked about this before. Such a long career that he just touches upon all of these people over the years <laughs> uh, that he's interacted with and and cross paths with. Um, every decade, it's oh that person oh, really yeah. wow, <laughs> it's crazy. Uh, what a fun time. Our thanks to Sonny Curtis and, as always, the wonderful Perry Gilpin for joining us this week. And thanks to you for uh, listening to It's Downtown, the podcast brought to you every week by Cross Insurance for security meets strength.